0: I'm going to be reading this morning from the book of Job, chapter 13, verse 15. If you have brought uh, your Bible with you and if you would like to find that passage of Scripture, I would appreciate that a great deal. What What a joy to be here this morning at Second Baptist Church. I love our church, our praise team, our pastor, our staff, this church family, and it's always good to be here. I don't get to come as often as I would like. Uh, but, but anytime I'm here, I enjoy it a great deal. I realize that we are at the close of fall break, and it's raining this morning. I learned early on in ministry more than 30 years ago that sometimes 19 raindrops will keep 25 Baptists out of church. But for those that attend, I'm always grateful. So I am glad that you are here this morning. I hope that, that God will speak to your heart throughout the message. I, I, I did learn many years ago that God is concerned about what is going on in our life. And I don't know where you are at in your life or in your walk with God. It's not for me to know. But I do know this. God loves you and he cares about you very much. And if you're hurting, he cares. If you are troubled, he cares. If you are up against it, God cares about what is going on with you. And I hope that you will find the peace that you need in him and the strength that you need in him. And above all, I know that God loves us so much that he gave his son to die for our sins And whenever we place our faith in his son Jesus, we have eternal life. And if you've never done that, you need to do it now. Salvation is a very urgent matter. In fact, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. So if you've never received Christ as your Savior, then certainly you need to do that. In the book of Job, chapter 13, Job had come to a place in his life where he says in verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him but I will maintain mine own ways before him. If you know anything at all about the life of Job, you know that he'd been having a very difficult time. He'd been overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. It started one day when Job lost his wealth, his prosperity. Job was a very wise man. He had made some good investments. He had uh, developed a very uh, large uh, farm, and he had a lot of servants. He had a lot of livestock. But one day those things were taken from him. But if that were not bad enough, Job lost his family. His ten children were eating together. They were killed whenever a storm came through the community. His ten children were taken from him, so emotionally and spiritually his world was turned upside down. In addition to that, his wife became very bitter. She said to Job, I don't know why you retain your integrity. You ought to just curse God and die. So Job needed the support of his companion. It was the most difficult time of his life, and I'm sure the most difficult time in hers, But instead of being a woman of faith, she became very bitter. And she was determined not to be supportive of Job. She could not understand why he would maintain his faith in God. It would have been nice if he could have had the encouragement of some friends. But his friends began saying to him, Job, you must have done something terribly bad for God to be so disappointed in you. If you don't know this, you need to take this with you today. Hopefully, you're already aware of the fact that sometimes very bad things happen to very good people. Job was a very good man. He loved God dearly, and yet these terrible things were occurring in his life. He didn't understand why, but it didn't really matter. They were happening. And so Job needed the encouragement of his friends, but he didn't have that. And then in addition to that, Job became very ill. And his illness involved his body being covered by painful, excruciatingly painful sores. And you would have thought that Job would have thrown in the towel, that he would have given up. But that's not what Job did. Job said, it doesn't matter what happens in my life. I'm going to maintain my faith in God even if it kills me. That's where Job was at in his life. So I would admit to you that there were times when Job's attitude was not what it should have been, but overall he maintained what I would call an attitude of faith. And I want us to look at Job's attitude because it is a victorious kind of attitude, and I can tell you this, in life your attitude can make you, or as my grandmother would say, it can break you. Someone once said, your attitude determines your altitude in life, and I believe there's a great deal of truth in that. We should have, as Christians, a mature, victorious kind of attitude, and that's what Job had. So let's look at his attitude. First of all, we see that Job had an attitude of faith. As you know, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith, and the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So in looking at this passage of scripture some time ago, I began thinking about other passages that related to faith. And a passage that came to my mind is a passage that I find in the Gospel of Matthew concerning Jesus and an incident that occurred with him and his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, the Bible, Bible, let me just say this, back up and say that Jesus had just performed great miracles. He had taken a few fishes and loaves of bread and he had fed a multitude of people. And then in Matthew chapter 14 verse 22 the scripture says, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves for the wind was contrary, that it That is, it was antagonizing, it was a peerless storm, a peerless situation that the disciples were in. And then the Bible says that in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it is the Spirit, and they cried out for fear. So the disciples are doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Jesus had said to them, you're going to get in this ship, and you're going to set sail, and you're going over to the other side of the sea. So they were doing what God had told them to do and yet they find that there is a storm raging in their life which leads me to believe that you can be right in the middle of God's will you can be doing exactly what God leads you to do you can be obedient to him you can be living by faith following his direction in your life and then suddenly and unexpectedly you can find yourself in the middle of a storm just because you are a Christian And just because you're serving God, that does not necessarily mean that you're not going to have difficulties in your life. In fact, the Bible declares all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're going to have some difficulties as you go through your life. Jesus put it like this, it rains on the just and the unjust. But the thing that impresses me about this is that even though this storm was raging in their life, Jesus went to them during the storm. Now, I hope you know that Jesus is, just as Jesus went to those disciples, he can come to your house. Just as he went to those disciples, he can come to your life. And and in verse 27, the scripture says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him, said, Lord, if it be thou bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Now what I've heard many pastors refer to over the years, many Sunday school teachers uh, refer to is the fact that if Peter had not taken his eyes off of Jesus, he would have not have begun to sink, and I believe that. I think that is certainly the principle that is being taught here. But the thing that I admire about Peter is that he was that one disciple that was willing to get out of the boat. The rest of them were sitting inside, and it was Peter who courageously said, Lord, if it's you, I'll just come walking over there to where you are. I can tell you this, if you're not willing to get out of the boat, you'll never walk on the water. But Peter was the disciple that was willing to get out of the boat. And then Jesus said, in verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. So it may be that there's someone here this morning and you've got a storm raging in your life and you don't know why the storm is raging, you feel that you've been attempting to serve God to the best of your ability, and yet you've got this storm raging in your life, let me tell you that it is very important during the storms for you to maintain that attitude of faith. That's what Job had. He had an attitude of faith. But not only did Job have an attitude of faith, I also see in Job that he had an attitude of forgiveness. If my friends had said to me, What Job's friends had said to him, I'm not exactly sure how I would have responded. I probably would have lashed out. I may have become very bitter. I may have become very, very uh, upset. I'm not really sure, but that's apparently not what Job did. Job maintained his faith, and Job had an attitude of what I would call friendliness. He was not a grudge holder. He was this person that was dynamic in the way that he dealt with other people. In the, in the book of Peter, the Bible tells us that we are to maintain that kind of an attitude. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, which is to be merciful. And then he says to be courteous, which means that we are to be friendly. Now, if you know anything at all about people, you know that in 2018, there are some people that are not very friendly. Some of you work with some people that are not very friendly. Some of you live by some people that are not very friendly. In fact, some of you may live with some people that are not very friendly. If you think people are friendly... Go over to Owensboro or go around here to one of your favorite restaurants where there is a buffet and just just try try to get up to the front of that line and see what happens. Some of you were on your way to church this morning and you were down here maybe at a traffic light and you weren't watching the light. You didn't see it change from red to green and whenever it changed, someone behind you started saying to you, using their horn, you need to hurry up and get out of the way, didn't they? Some of you got to church and you found out it was your Sunday school teacher that was doing it to you. And while that probably didn't happen, it is true that if you leave here today and you go down here to the traffic light and their vehicle's behind you and the light turns green and you just sit there and count to five, someone is going to get upset. We are living in a day when some people are not friendly, some people are not patient. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to be friendly in our spirit and in our attitude. But Job not only had an attitude of faith and friendliness, I also see in Job that, as I mentioned a moment ago, that he had an attitude of forgiveness. He was not a grudge holder. I said to someone in social media just the other day, they were talking about uh, people that could not be forgiving and people that held grudges, and I quoted someone that had once said, others may hate you, but they only win if you begin to hate them. Don't treat people the way they treat you. The Bible says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So I'll illustrate that like this. Several years ago, when I pastored at Calvary Baptist Church, my family and I lived in the parsonage right behind the church. It was a nice parsonage. We enjoyed living there. It was off the road enough that we, we weren't bothered a great deal. We really enjoyed living in that parsonage. They owned some property back behind the parsonage, and they had a had a large area back there that was fenced in. It wasn't really in the yard; it was actually back in the edge of the woods. So we had a good place for pets. And our oldest son came to me and his mother one day, and he said to us, "He said I would really like to get a dog." And I said, "Well, what kind of dog would you like to get?" And he said, "Well, I've been looking at some dogs online, and uh, there are some puppies for sale over in the Madisonville area." He said, and don't freak out, Dad. He said, they're going to get big. They're big dogs. They're Doberman Pinschers, and I would really like to have one. Well, I'd had a Doberman Pinscher on the farm when I was growing up, and I loved that dog a great deal. He was very sociable. He was a great pet. And so I said, well, I guess we can go over there and look at them. Well, we went over there, and we looked at these dogs, and the, little, the, the mother and father were on the premises. The, the little litter of puppies was there, and we were one of the first people to look at the litter. And, 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 and our three children were, were eyeing one of those little puppies, and they, they held him, and they just adored this one little puppy in particular. And they said, this is the puppy that we want. And I said, now, if we get this puppy, you've got to water him and feed him and nurture him and take care of him. It is a lot of responsibility for children. Do you understand that you are the one that's going to have to take care of this puppy? Oh, Dad, we'll take such good care of him, they said. So we paid for the puppy. A few weeks later, he was old enough for us to pick him up, so we go back to get the puppy, and on the way over there, our oldest son says, Dad, I've talked to my brother and sister about a name for the dog. We would like to name him Jester, like the keeper of a king's court. And I said, Well, that that sounds like a good name. So his name was Jester. Well, we brought that little red Doberman Pincher home, Had a little brown around his feet and on his chin and his ears. He was a beautiful dog, and he started growing and he just kept on growing until he looked like a little pony running around the house and around the yard he was such a big dog but he was sociable and very intelligent and as you can imagine after a while when the new wore off of that puppy you know who fed him and watered him and nurtured him right and and i took a i took a liking to this dog I I, I I in fact, I loved him dearly and he became he became a friend to me and I walk a lot out on country roads and And I would put that dog in the back of my truck and he would ride with me over to the Cleeton Cutoff Road or to the Hayden Cemetery Road or some country road and I would drop the tailgate. He'd jump out and he would walk with me and I would sometimes pray and sing and he would just kind of look at me like I was crazy but he liked being out there on those country roads with me. We spent a lot of time together and he was a very smart dog. I could tell him to sit and he would sit. I could tell him to stay and he would stay. I could hold a hot dog up in front of his nose and I would say, you'd sure like to have that, wouldn't you? And he'd just wag that little stubby tail but he would never take it until I told him it was okay to take it. He was an extremely intelligent dog. And after we'd had that dog for several years and later had moved out to where we live now in 181 South, I came in from work one day and he was lying by the side of the driveway and he was dead. And, and, and it crushed me I loved that dog so so much and for him to just suddenly die it just it bothered me a great deal and so my wife was trying to encourage me and she said honey get you another dog and I said I don't ever want another dog I'll never have another dog but some time went by we found out that our oldest son and his wife were expecting a child and we found out that it was going to be a little boy and he was on the way and I said to my wife I said you know every little boy ought to have a puppy so I began reading about dogs that were good with children and one of the dogs that that I read about that had a good reputation of being with and around children was boxers so I found someone here in Muhlenberg County that raised boxers and I went out to talk to them and he said yes I've got a litter of pups that'll be here soon and after the little litter of pups were born I went back out to his house and he had one little pup that was so pretty he was kind of brown and had a big white ring around his neck and I said that's the dog that I want for my grandson so I bought that boxer brought him home later some weeks later and he started growing and getting bigger And I could not, and if you've got a boxer, please don't think that I'm making light of boxers. I know they are very intelligent animals normally, but the one that I had wasn't really that smart. I couldn't, or or at least maybe I wasn't smart. I wasn't smart enough to train him well. I was struggling in so many ways and trying to to teach that dog some, some tricks. He he would spill his water bowl every time up. It could be 100 degrees outside and his water bowl would not sit there for 30 seconds until he would have it knocked over. I literally took a bucket and screwed it to the side of his doghouse, used a big bolt to bolt it down, and I got back up on the porch and I was looking and that dog was grabbing that bucket with his teeth and he was pulling at it, giving everything that he had until he finally ripped it off the side of that doghouse. But I was, I was trying to do some research, trying to figure out how that I could uh, help this dog to, to, to learn what I wanted him to do and what he needed to do to be a great family pet. And one of the things that I learned about boxers, according to the article that I read, is that if a boxer gets in a fight with another dog, he will possibly hold a grudge against that other dog for the rest of his life. When I read that, I said, hey, Missy, guess what? Our dog's not only a boxer dog, he's a Baptist dog. Folks, why do we do that? How damaging is it to the kingdom for us to hold grudges toward others for whatever reason? So I see in Job that he had this attitude of faith, this attitude of friendliness, this attitude attitude of forgiveness, but how did Job get there? Now what I've done this morning, and those of you that have heard me preach before know that it's not unusual for me to have a very lengthy introduction, but I have very short sermons. So you've just heard the introduction to the message, now the sermon is going to be so, so short, Uh, you may be surprised at how quickly I'll be done. But that was Job's attitude. How did he get there? First of all, he knew what part God played in his life. Job said on one occasion, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And he'd come to that place in his life where he says, even if he permits me to die, even if he takes my life from me, I am trusting in him. But I see this in Job. He held others in high esteem. I had an opportunity to speak recently to our 11th and 12th graders over at Martin Hall on career day. And as I was speaking to those 11th and 12th graders, I said, if you're going to find... A meaningful career and a fulfilling career and live a meaningful and a fulfilling life let me encourage you in some other areas of your life that are really important and I talked about leadership and I talked about selfishness I said my generation overall is a selfish generation I said I don't want you to get caught up in that I said now you need to, need to keep this in perspective You need to have a good attitude toward others, and you must also have a good attitude toward yourself. And I went on to say to them, if you think too highly of yourself, you will take advantage of others, but if you do not think highly enough of yourself, you will permit others to take advantage of you. So it's important to have balance in this area of your life. But hold others in high esteem. Rick Warren said in the book, The Purpose-Driven Life, in the very first paragraph, which was one short sentence, he said this about the purpose-driven life. He said, it is not about you. Hold others in high esteem. Then let me say thirdly, don't give up easily. Be determined in your faith. Be determined in your attitude." You may not have the difficulties of Job, but as I said in my opening remarks, you are going to have difficulties in life. Life is not always easy. If your life is always easy and you are without obstacles and difficulties, I'd like to know what street you live on. I want to buy a house near you. I want to know what you're doing because for most of us, life can be difficult and at times painful. Don't give up. Maintain the right kind of attitude. Some years ago, our youngest son came to us. He just graduated from high school, and he said to me and his mother, he said, I've made a decision to join the United States Army. He said, I've prayed about it. I truly believe it's what God has in store for me. I believe that it's God's will for me to do this. He convinced his mother and I of that, and, of course, we encouraged and supported him. And on the day that he was to leave for Fort Sill, Oklahoma for his basic training, he was going to be flying out of Nashville, and his mother and I decided that we would take him to Nashville to the airport. And on the way down to the airport, I'm driving, and I look occasionally in my rearview mirror, and not only can I see out my back windshield, but I can see his face. And I can tell that there's a lot of anxiety. He's not saying much, he's disturbed, not knowing what is in store for him, he's nervous. And I said to him, I said, Caleb, you're smart. You've got a good head on your shoulders. You are in great physical condition. You've prayed about this. God's going to be with you. You're going to do outstanding. You're going to do very well. He said, I know, but I'm going to miss you, and I'm going to miss mom, I'm going to miss my family, and I'm going to miss home. I said, I'm sure you will. But you're going to do great. When we get to the airport, he's flying with a particular airline, and over their counter, they have a placard Uh, that says military only. So Caleb, our youngest son, has his hair already already cut very short. He's got this large camouflage duffel bag that says U.S. Army on the side of it. The belongings that he's permitted to take are all in that duffel bag. And we walk up to the counter and there is a young lady. She's on her cell phone and she's kind of smiling and Chuckles a little bit and she just, she never looks up. And I don't pay any attention to that at first because I know how important it is for people to, 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 you know, communicate with others. When I get to my truck later today, one of the first things I'll do is to check my cell phone, see if I have any messages or any missed calls. I know what it's like to have to use a cell phone. I didn't care for her using a cell phone, even if it was not professional, it didn't bother me until it became apparent to me that she was ignoring us. It was very obvious that this young lady was not going to say, may I help you, may I assist you. She just, I know she can see us. We're standing literally right in front of her, but she will not look up. And finally I said, excuse me, ma'am, we need some assistance, please. To which she sharply replied, what is it that you need? I'm a very passive person. People that work around me, my family would tell you, people that have known me for extended periods of time would tell you that I'm a very passive person. But the thing that gets under my skin as much as anything, and it does nearly every parent, is if I feel like someone is not treating my children well. Now what I did, I should not have done. I was preaching a moment ago about being friendly, but when she said, what is it that you need, I wasn't as friendly as I should have been. I said, ma'am, he needs some assistance, please, with his boarding pass. She said he can get it right over there, and she pointed toward a computer screen. And I said, yes, ma'am, I'm sure he could, but I'm quite confident that you could also help him with that. Could you not? She took his documentation. In just a few seconds, she'd had him his boarded pass printed out. She never said, have a good day. She never said, I appreciate your service to our country. She never said, thank you for flying with our airlines. She never said anything at all. And at that time, I didn't think anything much about it. But Missy and Caleb and I are sitting out in the hallway of the airport. He waits as long as he can before he goes through security. And we're sitting there and we're, we're talking and we're saying our goodbyes. And Caleb gives me a hug, tells me goodbye, and he gives his mother a hug and tells her goodbye, and when he does that, his mother gets emotional. When she gets emotional, Caleb gets emotional. When they're both emotional, I get emotional, and the three of us are sitting out there on a little little chair, just big enough for the three of us. We're sitting there on that little chair, and all three of us are crying. And there's a man that walks by us. He has on a blue vest with a name tag on it underneath his name. I later will read that it says he is a volunteer. And he walks by us, and he's probably as close to us as I am to that speaker. And he walks by us and looks at us, and he keeps walking. And then he stops, and he walks back toward us. And whenever he gets over there to where we are, he didn't say anything to my wife or to me, but he looked at my son and he said, Son, are you in the service? Caleb said, Yes, sir. I've enlisted in the United States Army and I'm on my way to Fort Sill for basic training. That man warmly said to Caleb, I would sure like the privilege of shaking your hand. Caleb stood up, and those of you who know him know that Caleb is a... Big young man, he squares those big shoulders back and he puts his hand out and that man firmly shakes his hand and here's what he's saying. He said, son, I know you don't know me, but I'm a Christian. And he said, this evening when my wife and I have our evening meal, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray for the other young men and women that serve this great nation because we admire you and we appreciate your service and we want God to bless you whether you're in Nashville or Fort Sill, Oklahoma or the deserts of Iraq. It was such a nice gesture. And I went back to the automobile after Caleb had walked through security and Missy and I started back for Greenville. And as we were driving down the road, I thought about the behavior of that woman that was getting paid to do a job and her attitude. And I thought about the attitude of that senior adult, that volunteer, that man that was working as a volunteer. And I said, Lord, help me to be more like him and less like her. Your attitude not only affects you and your relationship with God, but it affects a lot of people, potentially. So maintain a Christian attitude, a victorious attitude. I'm going to ask you, if you will, please, to bow with me for a moment, heads bowed and eyes are closed, and I'm going to ask Brother Bob and those that will be involved in the invitation, if they will, our instrumentalists and... Minister of Music, anyone that will be involved in the invitation, if they will, to come forward. Precious friend, if you are not a believer in Jesus, I encourage you to come to Christ. He loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. He will save you. if your attitude is not where it ought to be you say now now, now preach i'm not perfect of course you're not none of us are we are a work in progress but god help us to have an attitude that is becoming of a christian Jesus said, we're the light of the world. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will bless each one that is here today. I thank you for the people that have gathered together here and you know the needs of our hearts. And God, I pray that you will help each and every one of us to treat other people the way we'd want to be treated, to be as kind as possible, to be men and women and people of faith. If there's anyone here, Lord, that has never trusted in you, I pray that this morning they will trust in Christ, that they will be saved. And these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please.